Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. Hello, friends. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, for makers, and anyone who's interested in robotics and AI. Today, we have a super interesting guest, Shashank Deshpande. Hi, Shashank. How are you? Hi, guy. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give you a quick brief about our guest for today. And Shashank is a co-founder and a lead artificial intelligence and machine learning scientist for Intel. Ino Tescus. His current area of research includes developing state-of-the-art algorithm for automating image and video annotations, developing exploratory data analysis tools, and human-in-loop data enrichment tools. So Shishan completed his master's in ECE, majoring in computer vision from Carnegie Mellon University in 2015. He had previously worked in CHEM Image, CMU, Indian Institute of Science, and NVIDIA, developing production-ready CV algorithm for complex problems like line detection, vehicle classification, pedestrian detection, threat detection, and biomedical imaging. We have a super interesting guest today, so be ready for a super interesting discussion. Uh, Shishank, um, I would like to start by asking you a simple question. What is EDA means? Oh, um, exploratory <laughs> data analysis. So, um, Imagine you have, um, so first of all, uh, machine learning with deep learning these days is, um, you know, data extensive algorithm, right? Like we need millions of data points to train something that can be easily generalizable or is robust in situations that we cannot predict. So um, when you have millions of data points, um, it, there's a very famous saying that says um, a single data point can, you know, deviate your uh, model performance by uh, things that you cannot measure. So EDA gives you access into the data to derangle it, to know um, what exactly you're feeding to the model by slicing and dicing the um, data set into different statistical metrics that can have high impact on your model performance while you're training and deploying it in real world situations. Like for example, um, EDA could be very simple. Um, it could just measure the class imbalances, right? Let's say you're um, trying to train a model for um, car detection and pedestrian detection together. You have two classes, a car and a pedestrian. Um, suppose you have thousand images out of which 900 images just contain the um, car, image, um, or car object in them. And there are hundred images that contain pedestrian. So you can already see that this data set is heavily uh, biased towards um, car as an object. So when you train a machine with such imbalance and you don't take that into account, and suppose you use a loss function like root mean square error or something, your model can show that it is performing really well because it's doing well on one class. So when you go to deploy it in the real world, you start wondering, oh, I thought this was doing well. Why isn't it detecting pedestrians anymore? So um, such imbalances, such aspects of the data that are key for you to understand before you start um, investing, uh, you know, hundreds of hours of GPU training. Um, that would be EDA, exploratory data, and basically it will give you um, a snapshot of what your data is trying to tell you. So, 
where is where should I extract this data from? Should I be also liable to uh, use certain data sets who are more secured, more friendly, more uh, friendly in terms of data science? Where can I find those databases? Should I be the one who prepared them? Or should I just be the one visiting some other fields and extracting data from them? Uh, this is a very loaded question. So uh, <laughs> let me try to break it down a little bit. Um, sources of data is pretty much the bread and butter for any deep learning algorithm, right? And you want to make sure that your data set is representative of the real world problem that you're trying to solve. Um, we understand that because um, deep learning algorithms are so data hungry, uh, we can live in an environment where we starve for data. So um, collecting the right source of data is very important for your application. Although there are a bunch of open source benchmark data sets that you can use to prototype, et cetera, but when it comes to deploying a working production ready machine learning model, um, you need to be able to predict um, as a developer or a machine learning scientist, you need to be able to predict the kind of scenarios in which you're deploying that data. So, oh, sorry, you're deploying that machine learning model. So um, that representative data set is kind of ominous on um, the people who are trying to create that model. Um, you can augment your data, you can access that data from multiple sources, but at the end of the day, um, um, you would create that data set and then you would find ways to prune the data set in such a way that it will only contain the information that is adequate for training your model. Should I take under consideration the type of data? Maybe some relevant databases are more, uh, I don't know, uh, easier to deploy, to extract, to digest, to do some kind of an algorithm learning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of depends on the application space that you're looking at. Um, for example, if you look at autonomous driving, how would you collect data? You would probably put some sensors, some cameras on, uh, on your car, and then you know drive for a couple of hours and you have terabytes worth of data that you can easily use to train and predict um, whatever object that you're trying to look for. Um, at the same time, let's say you have a more complex um, application space like biomedical imaging, where you're trying to develop a surgical robotics kind of, um, you know, AI. Um, there, um, the margin of error is very little. Um, you can't have the doctors making mistakes while they're doing surgery on you. So that stands true for AI as well. So um, in, in such situations uh, where there is um, a data starved environment, it is very, very important that the limited amount of data you have access to is representative and it has latent features that are descriptive enough for your um, model to understand what object or what task you're trying to uh, accomplish. So um, it, it, it's kind of relative. Um, you can, like if there is, um, the application space is heavily explored, especially because we are moving um, closer and closer every day towards transfer learning, meaning that um, there is a model that has been um, trained on a bunch of data um, in a different application space, and it's performing really well because it has learned the underlying representations of the object. So you're trying to get that model to work on some other set of data. So um, you don't have to start from scratch because it has learned the representations. Maybe it is like color, texture, edges, shapes, whatever. And that might be similar to um, the application space that you're trying to target now. So in that case, it's, um, the amount of data you would require to train such a model is limited, 
But again, having a deep understanding of what your data is trying to tell you is pretty much as important, if not more, as um, creating a very high performing model in the first place. So you mentioned two very interesting, in your, in your answer, you mentioned two different interesting cases. One is a case of a doctor who has a machine learning helping them, her or him, to decide what kind of an action he should take next. But my concern, and I, I also got this concern from a friend, from colleagues that I talked to, is who's supervising the learning? Should it be supervised or should it be unsupervised and leave it to the AI of the computer developed by itself? And I think that most people will concern that the machine will not necessarily get the right ethical maybe decision because it's not just based on data itself, but also about all, I mean, exogen uh, circumstances and, 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 and events. So I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about it. Who should supervise? Yeah, this is a great question in, um, in our work when we are, um, so biomedical imaging is such a space where the margin of error is so limited that one mistake can cost someone's life. So ethical AI around biomedical imaging becomes a very crucial topic as to who's responsible for the action the AI is prompting you to take or who would supervise it. Is it even um, a good idea for a doctor or a field um, expert in the field to supervise what it is uh, training? Because um, you know um, it can probably find the deep learning algorithm because it is all about trying to fine tune weights and biases in your convolution layers, for example. So uh, the whole point of deep learning was uh, to avoid human interaction with it as much as possible. Uh, for the machine to be able to um, learn um, things that humans might not be able to learn very easily. So given that backdrop, um, I have always been um, of the opinion that um, if your data is telling something um, that you cannot see, because in most of our application cases where in chem image we work with hyperspectral imagery, right? Hyperspectral imagery gives you access to dimensions of um, image uh, data where just the human eyesight is not good enough. Maybe you're looking at a different wavelength of light, how that light would react to a particular tumor, for example. So then um, your expert can handhold that to a certain extent, but at some point it is like, you know, your um, AI model is becoming a teenager. Now you have to let, give it freedom to explore whatever, right? Um, but at the same time, interpretability of the AI, understanding what exactly it is learning and is that a useful dimension of information in, in achieving a certain task is very important. So it, in my opinion, I would let an AI learn what it wants, but I would also understand what it is learning before I deploy it so that I'm responsible for the actions that the AI is prompting me to take. Um, we would love at some point to have an AI overlord that takes over the world, controls everything. But at this point, um, human in loop supervision is a very key element of developing good AI, in my opinion. Perfect, perfect answer. And Shashank, another question on this regard. So when human, they decide something, usually it is based on some kind of a bias biased decision yeah. based on their, I don't know, 
history, understanding of life, uh, culture, whatever. Yeah. But on the other end, when I take a group of people deciding there will be some kind of variant between the decision they are taking, even though they are still under the same group or at least can be classified under the same group. So I'll be happy to understand, in your opinion, if you see such a major difference between a bias and a variance in terms of implementation in your day-to-day -day as, as a machine learning scientist. Mm -hmm. um, so the way I think about the difference between bias and variance is one is a bug, the other is a feature. <laughs> bias is something that screws your training process um, because you cannot anticipate um, while you're training a model as to what kinds of features it is trying to pick up on. But variance is a good thing um, if you think about it because variance adds um, an element of randomness that will help uh, with the model's capability to be more robust, to be more generalizable. You know, like if you have 10 um, different uh, experts in the field disagreeing with something, you want to replicate that behavior in the AI that you're developing too. Maybe you'll have multiple models giving you multiple projections and then you apply something like a ransack-based consensus at the end of it, trying to figure out what, what is the answer that collectively the AI is trying to tell you. Um, having that variance, in my opinion, is a very good thing because um, you can't always predict um, or have set of rules that will apply in every single situation. There is no one size fits all in, in cases um, of real world applications. Um, so you would want to increase that variance as long as you know what the bounds of the variance are. Um, in, in our um, experience, sometimes we start wondering why is AI looking at um, this particular wavelength, for example. Sometimes spectroscopists start thinking that um, this was a wavelength that we did not think contains a whole lot of information, but the AI is picking that up as an important piece of information to classify something, to predict something. Um, so we having that variance, um, allows the AI to then saturate to a more robust point um, where you can be more confident um, about what the outcome is. Because if the AI is giving you the same prediction every single time in different situations, then maybe it is overfitting on some kind of feature or data that you might not have thought about. So that's my opinion on that. Yeah. Okay, take us to your day-to-day -day life at Inotescus. What do you do? What are you in charge of? What does the company do? What are you most proud of on your day-to-day -day work? And a short or a quick tip for those who want to join your team or to become data scientists, machine learning or algorithm scientists, what do you recommend them? What kind of steps in their beginning of their career or in the midst of their career to take in order to become a rock star like yourself? <laughs> all right so um all right um here's how i want to address this question um ai these days is becoming so mainstream um that there are um you know languages like python on which you can deploy tensorflow models kira's models with just one line of api code you get access to very very powerful deep learning models like yolo v5 you can use them to retrain for your application and stuff like that 
um, and um, you have access to different libraries, different IDEs, which make it very, very simple for you to start applying and deploying deep learning models for any company um, that you might be thinking about in a different application space. While it is good that um, the process of developing the AI is becoming simpler um, and simpler over time, the process of feeding that high quality data into the AI for it to train as soon as you collect the data is still a little underexplored. Um, so what we are trying to do at Inotescus is to bridge this gap so that you can have a seamless integration right from the moment that you have collected your data till you're deploying your machine learning models into real world problems uh, to try and solve real world problems. So um, Inotescus focuses on the data management aspect, data annotation aspects of um, your uh, training uh, life, life cycle. Um, Inotescus wants to provide tools for um, annotations, exploratory data analysis, understanding your data, um, having exports that are easily plug and playable into your training process. So um, you don't have to waste 80% of your time trying to clean your data, trying to build high quality training sets that are representative of your problem statement to solve. Um, so that's our basic ideology because we know the pain. We come from a very um, rich background of image processing um, scientists um, who have spent decades in this field with terabytes of data. So we understand the pain of annotating, managing that, cleaning it, and then um, having to spend so much time into just making that um, data uh, um, you know, export in a format that is understandable and interpretable uh, by your deep learning models. Um, so that's basically the philosophy of Inodiscus that we want to um, enable um, AI enthusiasts, AI scientists, whatever, to focus more on the creation of magical algorithms than to worry about uh, how you're going to get that data to you know, um, exceed that algorithm. Um, and what I'm most proud of, um, every single day, we have an amazing team. So every single day we have challenges that we are trying to solve. For example, right now we are working on our first release of video annotations. Um, if you have the capability to annotate video uh, with like you know four frames per second uh, into a semantic segmentation annotation, then you can imagine the amount of data you can create uh, because every uh, every second has thirty frames. So you know you, you can create millions of data points in a matter of weeks. And um, us trying to find this is a very hard problem to solve. There are plenty of solutions out there, but as I said, um, there is no one size fits all solution to this. It depends on your application space. So the team is uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, it is trying to tackle very hard complex problems like um, having multi-target segmentation in a moving video. Um, we are getting uh, more annotation tools on pose estimation, for example. So trying to hit different application spaces because we see very unique um, ways of using computer vision in AI that people are starting to get into. Like for example, um, one very, amazing application that we came across very recently was someone who's trying to use AI and CV to model your soul so that you can have custom-made shoes, you know? And people are using it to um, break into insurance markets. Like they're trying to train AI where you can just take a picture of your car if you're in an accident and it will talk to you about all the claim requirements, what is the damage, um, 
the health check. So it is basically disrupting an already well-established market. So um, it, it gives us immense joy for us to be able to support um, such um, you know, applications and creations of new algorithms and not worry about um, your data anymore. <laughs> a very detailed question to the people who follow us you should visit their career page you know Tesla has a great company a great team and uh, I wish them all the best they have a great product uh, Shishank one last question so I'm a robot developer and I'm a young robot developer I'm a junior one I want to uh, practice in machine learning and AI what would be the first step that I should take in order to get into this world? Wow. Um, I always say uh, the best way to learn is to get your hands dirty. There are thousands of courses online where you can start to pick up the basics and foundations of what math you require in developing um, these um, AI models. Um, and there are very cool uh, tools available. For example, Google Collab, um, it offers you GPUs, TPUs um, that you can just start playing with. And they have tons of resources and community around the uh, developers that are trying to get into the AI space. So um, I, if, if I were the one who's um, trying to suggest what your first step should be, um, pick up an application space that matters the most for you. Um, understand what is the problem that you're trying to solve and then um, start coding, like, you know, uh, just use Google Collab. You might make a few mistakes, you will learn, and you'll see how fun AI is because you can start to see that you're creating an intelligent machine that is able to replace some of the daily mundane tasks that you do. And that is a thrill in itself when it's, it works right, yeah. Shishang Deshpande, thank you so much for joining us today. I had a pleasure hosting you, super interesting discussion, and I highly appreciate your time and efforts joining us. Thank you for your time, Gary. <laughs> Thank you.